and welcome, welcome to the other side of midnight. Welcome to the other side of midnight. Tonight we have a special show for you with our guest Keith Morgan and co-hosting slash guest Ron Gerbron and myself Kinzia. We're standing instead here in Richard's captain's chair. Uh, he still is mm, struggling with internet. There have been heavy rains, and every effort to repair the internet has been disastrous because the water with the sands is like quicksand. They put the poles up and they come down. I would also like to mention that today would have been Robin Falkov's, Dr. Robin Falkov's birthday, and Richard is very much a man of the heart, and he is deeply moved. He continues to be deeply moved by the loss of his lifelong partner, Robin. I've put a uh, page, a memorial page on the homepage. If you'd like to add a comment, any of you who knew Robin, she was exceptional. She was uh, a true freedom fighter, and she was constantly vigilant for our health, guiding our health, and doing what she could to inform the public of the dark actions of the big pharma and their choices to really devastate our health and prevent us from taking actions that could improve our health. She She was a real pioneer and a real fighter, and we miss her. It's three years now, and it's like it was yesterday. So that's uh, one sad news that I just wanted to bring to your attention. She remains constant in our awareness. The other thing is that there are two really important global events happening right now. One of them is happening in Afghanistan. Does anyone remember Saigon? Well, here after 20 years in Afghanistan, Biden is pulling the same number. He's withdrawn troops without any regard to the safety of our allies who have been with us for the past 20 years. And once again, the U.S. is taking actions that condemns our allies to a certain death. Already they are begun uh, hangings around the world we are seen as self-serving weak and irresponsible people can see for themselves the utter mayhem internationally and soon to be massive executions by the Taliban which uh, this criminal act of Biden of just withdrawing without any regard for the safety of our allies is shocking to me Not only are the Taliban going to inherit the weapons that we left, imagine this, helicopters, tankers, fighter jets at the Kabul airport worth billions of dollars, billions of dollars virtually has been handed. We have armed the Taliban. We left 
that equipment, that military equipment there, and we have armed the Taliban. They've now upgraded their weaponry from AK-47 to M4 carbines. Bravo for us. Panic in Kabul airport is seen as people are desperately clamoring to get on board planes to leave the country because the massacres are already beginning. Another event that is, uh, I would say, really important and earth-shaking, literally earth-shaking, is that Haiti has had a powerful earthquake today on Sunday of 7.2 magnitude. And the death toll has soared to 1,297 counting. So we hold prayers for the people of Afghanistan and prayers for the people of Haiti that that peace and, and some loving resolution come. It seems like a really hard journey. And what part we play in this, I can only hope we start being more responsible. So tonight our show is called A Terrestrial Connection. A Terrestrial Connection. You can find it by going to the other side of midnight.com. And there's a banner, or you can type in A Terrestrial Connection. Our guests tonight, as I mentioned, are Keith Morgan and Ron Gerbron. Ron is a member of the Enterprise Imaging Team. He is proudly an uncredentialed polymath. (laughs) I love that term. (laughs) With a deep interest in the study of archaeology, especially Martian archaeology. Ron was raised on a farm in Pennsylvania collecting arrowheads as a child. He found the pragmatic aspect of education too limiting after attending a famous Quaker school in... Uh, Pennsylvania. Ahead of his studies and his time, he attempted to comfort himself into attending college before he gave up on academia and left to travel overseas. Throughout all this, he has focused his core attention on meteorology of the paleo history Uh, particularly on other planets, and especially Mars. And it doesn't say meteorology, folks. Sorry, it says metrology of our paleo history, particularly on other planets, and especially Mars. So Ron is our generalist. John, Ron, (laughs) welcome to the other side of midnight, honey. Come on. You there? Hi there. Yeah, whatever my – hi, everybody. Whatever my name is. That's close enough. Hey, I tried to go with what I thought was a really fine pseudonym, and everybody screwed it up right at the inset. So I said, "Oh well." And, um, yeah, I don't mean this show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yes, I have a little bit of space news because it just wouldn't seem like the other side of midnight if we didn't cover that. Uh, I was going to talk about the fact that Boeing, uh, of course, the major uh, vacuum cleaner for government money on. Um, classified and defense projects and aeronautics uh they were you know they've been fighting and fighting and fighting to stay in the running for the artemis program to land somebody on the moon 
and everybody probably caught the news item a few days ago where they're, they were going to do a test launch all the way up to the – no crew in it, but they were going to send it all the way up to the International Space Station, and um, they had a little problem with the um, maneuvering thrusters, as they say in all the movies, and uh, most of them didn't work. <laughs> so they said, whoops, and – when they gave it a closer look, they realized they were going to have to go tear it down and start over uh, to figure out what the problem was. It's a problem with valves. So they're taking heat for that. Uh, their airliner division, the more public stuff, uh, they're not doing well either. Uh, they're selling handfuls of planes of the ones that are selling, and they're having troubles with the others. Boeing's in trouble. Now, a uh, news item I caught today it seems that NASA has spent uh, three quarters, a little over three quarters of a billion dollars on um, designing spacesuits. And um, they've been working at this in the current frame since like 2007. Uh, they've spent that much money. Uh, and they just announced that the uh, planned uh, mission to the moon in 2024, uh, the suits aren't going to be ready. So you can't go to the prom without a tuxedo. They're um, uh, they're not going to be they're not going to have suits available until 2025, which means they're probably just going to call uh, SpaceX and say, "Hey, uh, Elon, you can you let me know about selling me some suits because Elon Musk and company designed their spacesuits uh, in house and then they had Under Armour <laughs> build them for them." And they cost 200k a piece, which, when you think of all the hardware on a spacesuit, you know, yeah, it's going to cost some money. But um, they buy and they buy them in lots of 100, so they have lots and lots of spacesuits. Um, and apparently, they come in various sizes because if you remember that uh, the pictures from that crewed mission that he sent up a couple of weeks ago, uh, the uh, with the one um, female astronaut, and um, she's. I mean, she's like a foot and a half shorter than the other guys. So it's uh, in the pictures anyway. So obviously they <laughs> have suits that'll fit various people. So they just, in typical Musk fashion, they just did a complete end run around all the problems that everybody complains about with spacesuits. So I thought that was more interesting than some of the other space stories. Uh, anyway, the uh, topic tonight is regarding stuff on Earth that looks like stuff on Mars. And I know that sounds kind of like a category for Jeopardy questions or something, but um, the uh, the connections are definitely there. And there seems to be influences that are there. And our own Keith Morgan has taken lots and lots of pictures from a um, an area in Utah. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, and I think maybe a couple other places uh, that has a lot of bearing on this. And... Um, I found something that I thought was more appropriate than digging up more pictures of the um, Beckley Tepe and who knows what else on um, archaeological journals. Uh, there's some screen grabs from a um, TV show called Stargate Universe, which even Stargate fans, a lot of them never got into the uh, last show that actually ran on TV where they um, they were on an 
ancient ship that was literally billions of light years away and no way to get home. And um, anyway, uh, the show was much darker than the other Stargate, like SG-1 franchises, but um, interesting anyway. And they got permission to do some location shooting because for their pilot, they had to go to New Mexico to go to White Sands. They could not find a gravel pit in um, Western Canada that was large enough to do the um, desert-like scenes that they had in the pilot episode of that show. So they took the crew down to New, New Mexico and went to White Sands. And while they were there, they met other people. And somehow they got connected with an Indian tribe who will not identify themselves, and they don't want anybody to go there. Uh, it's not exactly Skinwalker Ranch, but they said, this is our reservation. You stay away. And so they, they couldn't give any direct credit, but it's somewhere around Las Cruces. So there's somebody out there that will immediately say, oh, I know where that is, but I do not. So we're, uh, but the, uh, I just grabbed some screenshots from one episode that they actually located there. And um, the, uh, I can promise you the, uh, the Indians promised this, the production crew promised this, but the, uh, I saw a special on it and they said they never touched anything. Uh, they were under very, very strict instructions to not mess with the landscape. So aside from the little road that the Jeeps go up and down, there's, uh, you know, they didn't modify anything. There's no graffiti. Uh, maybe there's a couple of picnic spots we can't see, but um, it's, uh, and they're, they're not ruins. It's the landscape, or at least now it's the landscape. But I thought the fact that there are people walking around in the pictures made it a little more contextual. You can kind of see how big things are and the relative sizes, and you get to because of the change in the camera angles, you get to see them from one side and then from the other. And uh, that's something we don't usually get the benefit of uh, on Mars. And um, so I thought that was a, thought that was a nice change. The, um, and one of them, the last one of the four, it's a slightly different color balance. Again, it's a film crew. They were filming this. I didn't, uh, I didn't modify things. The, uh, there's just someone walking down the road. Anyone who has looked closely at the curiosity images will see an uncanny resemblance between that and the end of a place called, that NASA called Dingo Gap, which features in a lot of the um, image stalls where they took lots of pictures to generate panoramas. And I'll bet there's somebody out there that says, wow, that looks just like that such and such. I was going to put up frames and things, but I didn't want to confuse the issue because I'm not saying that NASA filmed the Curiosity mission on an Indian reservation, even though that's certainly not the wildest thing I've heard. Uh, but uh, there's that for some reason, those strange connections, those strange similarities are um, always there. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, Keith will have to tell you about his uh, images, of course. And, um, I think we're running. Let me see. I'm, I'm in a, at the disadvantage of not having a shot clock. So I was just looking to see. Well, I guess we're not breaking. Uh, that pretty well sets them up. You know, my uh, I don't like drawing circles and arrows and things all over stuff. But when we get to the Mars things. Um, well, I'll just tell you now. The other two pictures the are of, um, actually, there's a, there's a sixth one. 
but we may have a surprise connected to that. The, uh, uh, they're from that very area, that Dingo Gap area um, of um, the Curiosity photographed on several occasions. There's pictures from Saul 796 and Saul 844 and Saul 855. And Saul 855, by the way, is the source of the image, even though it's off in the distance, that the Chinese... Uh, borrowed for their advertisements for their um, own Mars lander. So these things all bump into each other somehow. But the, um, the ones that are concentrated for in Sol 844, and it's in the, it's in the image tags, just look for that, um, are, um, they're covered with what certainly look like icons, religious idols, uh, worshipful spots uh, and I have never seen such a broad range of different cultures represented so you could have a little fun playing um, you know where's uh, such and such a religion on there because there's stuff that looks Chinese there's stuff that certainly looks Egyptian and one of which strikes a resonant chord with something that Keith has to show you and uh, there's a um, Big messy looking thing like a badly made uh, waffle that was so striking on the, it's halfway up the slope that uh, I included a picture which I actually saw posted by NASA. I didn't get it from them, they, but somebody at NASA, uh, it rang the same bell somehow because they, you know, they sometimes have like blog posts, press releases, and there was one of those where they referenced that same picture and what it is is an agricultural icon or totem from New Zealand. It's a Maori uh, culture thing. They would bury these little figures in the field to allow the spirits, the nature spirits, to have a sort of a foothold. And there's a tie-in with Egypt, ancient Egyptian religion in that, but um, now is not the time, but some other time. <laughs> I get I run down rabbit holes on... Uh, anthropology stuff sometimes so I won't bother you with that but that's what that gnarly looking figure looks like and I, I mean I'm still struck after a few years of staring at it by the incredible similarity between those two so okay you've got a Rongo agricultural idol up there you've got something that looks like one of those buried terracotta, terracotta figures in China that were sent to accompany the uh, one of the emperors, and you've got uh, things representing, well, like I said, any religion you want to pick, and and down at the bottom of the slope, a uh, very Nefertiti looking. It's very well detailed. It's not really the Nefertiti um, top hat type um, crown, but you know the long neck and the and the posture carries a lot of weight by itself. And you just can't deny these similarities. Now, it's up to you folks out there to figure out why. Why does the stuff on Mars look like the stuff on Earth or vice versa? Good question. And if, um, yeah, well, I will mention that there is a 19.5 involved in the sixth image, which was contributed by our absent captain, who's, um, he may get a chance to call in. It depends on the um, how the electrical gods are treating him tonight. <laughs> hey, Ron. 
The uh, yes, num- your number three picture with the uh, the head. You said it looks like Nefertiti on profile. Um, yeah, everybody else says that. Yeah. Where where was that shot again? Uh, that's for, well, the, it's on several images, but that particular one is from uh, at the uh, just outside the end of Dingo Gap. I you know I don't know where they put up the little boundary fences, but that's uh, the um, at the end of that canyon that they filmed on or they panoramaed on Sol 796 and Sol 844 and Sol 855. They went back several times. To, uh, so these are actually on it, Mars, right? Yes, yes, that is absolutely positively on Mars. And that's, so um, the the image, the first big image. Um, there's a lot of green stuff on rocks on there. Uh, is that the yeah. proper oh, color? The two that, well, the two that are titled uh, SMU, that's which, or SGU, um, SGUA and B. Yeah, those are the, those those two images or four you know four shots, ganged them up are um, from the TV show. Yeah, I'm that's talking I'm talking about the, your image number three, which got the, the right drive. all the cut. Yeah, there is a lot of green, and uh, it's funny you bring that up because they took maybe one of the reasons that they photographed it so many times, and you can see this very easily if you if people go dive into the raw um, archives. The uh, yeah, there is a lot of green there, but it depends on the lighting. Sometimes the place is all cloaked in darkness, and I, I think that the angle of the lighting has an awful lot to do with uh, things like that. And they were the Martians were certainly aware of uh, how to control that sort of thing. And I, I, I really think that's one reason that NASA has done reshoots on so many things. It's not because they missed something, but they want to get it at different sun angles. And I think that's just an example of that. But yeah, you're right. It's there's a lot of green, but that's like rock green. I don't think it's moss or anything because it would be, you know, wouldn't be so crisp. Uh, doesn't look like copper uh, corrosion or anything like that to me. It looks more or less no. like some kind of plant growth. But who knows? It could be. Yeah, no, it could be. Uh, well, serpentine is green, and that's a uh, the geologist. Even the mainstream geologists uh, accept that there can be serpentine there. I used to know a sculptor that that was one of his favorite materials. It's kind of soapstony and um, fairly easy to um, sculpt, but um, gives you a nice, pretty surface, almost like jade. So I'm quite sure they used it. Yeah, I was looking at one of Keith Laney's uh, gigapans back when we did the uh, workshop for the presidential Uh briefing. I zoomed in on one of these areas, and behind a rock, sticking up from behind it, was this green object, and the texture of it looked like tiny bubble wrap, and it was green. Even with all the red, the green sucked out most of the picture, this thing was still green, and that texture looked like some kind of reptilian skin, and I wish it was a video because if it moved, then it would have definitely proven it was some kind of living creature. But uh, I have to find that again, because that just blew me away when I saw it and dumb me did not take a screen grab of it when I was yeah, looking I, at it. Oh, there's more. I like that. I like that comparison to a, a reptilian skin. That's a good, 
good way to look at it because there's a lot of that sort of pebbly textured surface, which really is hard to explain by um, geological processes. It doesn't look like erosion. It doesn't look like carving like we're used to it, but you know, sometimes sometimes artists put a texture to something, and uh, the um, whatever's causing it. Uh, it could even be a sort of a corrosion by plant. You know, there are plants that, that settle in on a rock and eat away at it. And it could be some sort of moss. I mean, I've never, I mean, it seems reasonable that if anything survived the, uh, the initial atmospheric loss, uh, it would be something that could, that could evolve really, really fast. Like a uh, you know simple organism like a fungus or a um, mold or a lichen or something. I I see no problem with any of those. In fact, on that one picture, the um, I mean um, the the one that's got the Nefertiti head on it. Uh, there is uh, I'm going for a bigger version here because I because I can do that. Um, where did I put it? Uh, oh yeah, there there. There we are. Let me see if it. No, it doesn't show on there. But if if people uh, go and look at, oh, that's from. I'm sorry. That uh, the one that's got the Nefertini head on it. See, that's case in point. That's from Saul 796. Yeah, it's They're actually from Saul the one. 844. It's from the one right above that uh, in the lower right hand corner. It's that. Yeah, the lower right hand corner. That's just a museum picture. That's just uh, the uh, it it had a tag. Uh, no 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 not somebody. the rock not the rock with the swirls and the face in it. I'm talking yeah. about in the very big picture above the two, the lower uh-huh. left hand corner picture with the head in it is in that lower right hand corner of the very big picture above both of them. Yes. Okay. Yes, that was that was my cunning ploy to make uh, to allow people to see it in a slightly larger size. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because that's uh, and in fact it's uh, yeah two of the three days that they did major photo shoots there, uh, the perspective and so forth is pretty much the same. They just got a different time of day, so the um, they get mixed up. And so that that one on the lower left may in fact be from Saul eight forty four. I'm not a high, uh, that's why I didn't put a date on it. It was a, a miscellaneous close-up, and I said, "Oh, I, I should use this one because it's nice and clear." But you know, and you can see there's some those pyramids in the distance. You know, on the panorama, they're um, uh, it's out of focus. You know, they were definitely focused right on that ridge and right on that particular head mm-hmm. uh, and things things at that same focal plane because you know the in the distance past it, it's all blurry. They were uh, so they were lo- they were specifically looking at it, and that's why they spent so much time there. But um, yeah, if you look at another version of that image, and like I said, it shouldn't be hard to find in the um, in the NASA's own archives. You can even see it on the raw images down right below. Uh, it, it, mm, further down, a part of the picture that does not show here. Uh, there is something that looks very much like an artichoke. <laughs> now I don't know if it's a carving of an artichoke, but uh, or a uh, uh, fossilized plant, or you could also say that it looks kind of like one of those creatures from the alien movies that would attach themselves to somebody's face. 
Um, the um, so it could be any one of those, but there's yeah, that just but that wasn't germane to the sculpture stuff. So I knew I wanted to fit it all on one on one picture. Yeah, you can get lost in this stuff. There's so much detail. Yeah, we're about yeah. a minute out from the break. Um, okay, well, because yeah, one of yours has the uh, has Nefertiti neck and all, as I remember. We Ron? Yeah. Yes, we are going to go to break. So folks, you're listening to the other side of Midnight. We're having a conversation with Ron Gerbron and Keith Morgan. The show is called A Terrestrial Connection, and we shall return. Our objective from the beginning, uh, if you look back to English history, the common law and equity both developed under different systems. Right. The common law was originally always the, the original system of law, which was biblically based. And it was handed down orally from person to person over the years because there wasn't any, any printing press or writing until the Middle Ages, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas equity, however, what would happen is the common law at that time was extremely strict, very, very harsh. <laughs> and most people fail to, to realize the, uh, the strictness. For, and I know, for example, um, one criminal charge sometimes could take four or five pages to lay it out of everyone. And if you missed a, a, a dotting an I, you, the, the guy could have the charge thrown out. So what developed was eventually people who thought that the common law was too harsh would petition the king for redress. And then the queen, king I should say, or queen, would determine if they were going to have mercy on him and what they were going to do. Um, sometimes they were thrown to the wind and said, too bad, you're out of luck. Other times they would get redress. And what would happen as more and more people started going to the king, he couldn't handle the workload. So he appointed it to the chancellor. Mm-hmm. And that he started doing it, which then became the Court of Chancery, or equity. And of course, a number of principles developed in equity, I think there's 12 or 13 of them now, um, that developed over the years where it basically was a, uh, a separate form of, of law based on fairness and various principles that developed parallel to the common law. And then early in the 1900s, they were fused into one court because you had different courts, common law and you had equity. And they fused them into one court where the same court would apply both systems of law. And if there was a conflict, and only if there was a conflict, the common law would prevail. Hi, I'm David Kevin Lindsay from Canada. And I would urge everybody to be able to support the other side of the news. With news media all over the world essentially promoting the government narrative on virtually every issue out there, everybody needs an alternative source of accurate, truthful information. And the other side of the news provides that information, that source of information from a variety of speakers all over the world with personal knowledge and experience that they can share with everybody in over 160 countries that they're involved and that they go to, to show everybody in the world what they are doing to support and encourage everybody else 
to also stand up for freedom issues throughout the world. I would urge everybody on a regular basis to listen and support the other side of the news. And welcome back to the other side of midnight. This is Kintia. And tonight we're enjoying a conversation with Ron Gerbron and Keith Morgan. I'd like to share a little background on Keith. Uh, he is uh, currently our sound engineer, so he's on every show, really. He, he, <laughs> he keeps this plane flying. Keith has been an electronics technician with ABC News in Washington, D.C. since 1982. He has a B.A. in communications from Howard University with a minor in computer science. He helped build Howard University's TV station WHMM, now WHUT. He worked at WRC Channel 4 in Washington in 1980. Keith is the discoverer of what has been coined the Morgan Curve on Mars. He has researched Mars anomalies since 1988 after purchasing the monuments of Mars. He worked with Nightline with Ted Koppel. Keith was instrumental in getting a face-to-face between Richard Hoagland and Ted Koppel. He also supplied the show with information which was used in various shows about Mars and Europa. He thinks he now knows why the face is on Mars, buried within, based on Sumerian writings of over 6,000 years old. So, Keith and Ron, you're on for a terrestrial connection. And I have to say, Keith is uh, bringing this topic forward because of a... a discovery he made. So, Ron, uh, you want to, you and Keith, continue the conversation? It's The floor is yours. Thank you, Cynthia. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just going to turn it over to you, Keith, so that works out well. Just go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, this is my second uh, guest appearance on the show, instead of doing the audio behind the scenes. And I've gotten some pretty good comments from some of the listeners and I appreciate that. And I hope not to disappoint them tonight because I got some stuff that I figured out uh, just this, as I was putting this together because I saw something that I didn't see before. Uh, I have pictures that I've taken personally in Utah because my son used to live in Utah. And when my wife and I would go visit him, um, once we went down to the uh, Arch National Park where the uh, – they have all the arches and the one primary arch that um, they uh, prominently display on their calendars and so forth. And while we were taking the little tour, driving around, looking at everything, um, I took pictures and that's what I'm going to show you tonight. And then I'm going to show you what I found while I was uh, putting these pictures together for Kanthea. Uh, if you go to the other side of midnight, uh, and you click on tonight's show banner, and you scroll down till you see my images, uh, you will find um, the picture number one is the first thing that caught my attention that really, really blew me out of the water when I looked at it. The thing is, is people have the, the ability to, to look, but they don't really see. And 
everything that they've been seeing or talking about in Utah, they're saying, oh, that's just a natural formation. This is a natural formation. No, this stuff has too much detail. It's defying the natural laws of how nature creates things. And one of the things that caught my attention was this, what looks like a silhouette profile of Nefertiti or an Egyptian headdress person wearing a headdress. And the way it's perched is it is, it's balanced in such a way that the weight of this thing, the back of it should have broken this off decades ago or even further back than that. But this stuff has been there for a while. And so if you click on the first picture, um, for those who know how to zoom in, uh, if you open this in your browser, you can either hold down the uh, control key and roll your wheel on your mouse if you have a wheel in the center of your mouse, and that will enlarge and, and shrink the image. And you should be able to zoom in pretty good. Now, picture number two is actually a close-up that I took of this, but for those who can't uh, zoom in, or if you have a if you have a touchpad, you can put two fingers on the touchpad and you can spread your fingers and that will zoom in as well if you have uh, a newer model of type, type of touchpad that allows you to do that. So there's a couple of ways. And then just the browser, you'll have a little magnifying glass that has a plus sign in it. If you click that one time, it will make it bigger. But uh, to get the really close, you have to do the zoom to get even closer. But what I want you to look at is the the profile that I was talking about. It looks like an Egyptian headdress on a profile of of some kind of head with a neck and some kind of body sticking out of it. And I thought that was really interesting. And when I really got close to it, it still looked like it was an artificial construction. And what really stood out was the pillar next to it that's part of the, the structure. And it's got a slope on it and a angle. And it's, it looks completely artificial. And it looks like there was something on top of it, like another head or something and it is long gone. But Keith? Yeah. There's one more on there, because uh, you can see it on your closer zoom there. If you look down at the, uh, well, the next step down for, uh, below the um, those two construct or features you're talking about, there's that square door-shaped thing to the left of it. Yeah. That, that which is an indent. Uh, no, that's well. What that looks like is an Egyptian false door. Yep. You know, the fundamental, the fundamental thing about the construction of tombs and the like, uh, they would put in these false doors that were inset a bit, and sometimes there was some tromploy fuss on them to make them very detailed. Sometimes not, but that that's exactly what that looks like. Either that, or if you go up to it and you have the right number of fingers on your hands and you press them against it it will slide back. But, um, you know, absent that, it looks like a, an Egyptian-type false door. So maybe the, maybe those Egyptians that somehow traveled around when they weren't supposed to and prehistory uh, got there too. Yeah, and right above that, 
is this slope that comes down and out, almost like that's an arm coming out the body of that head up there. Um, but it's, it's a broad body, but I'll leave that alone. But if, you, if you're looking at that and you go to the right, stay on that level, go to the right, you'll see a pillar that's lit up, okay? And if you guys can zoom in on the pillar, that's what I discovered when I was putting this together for this program because I didn't notice it before uh, until I was zooming in and looking at things. And I said, this looks like something else, which we will get to when I get to picture number nine, um, because there is what they call balanced rock, a oval-shaped rock sitting on top of this tall – I don't know how to explain it. Uh, it's, it's sort of like a uh, pedestal that tapers from a wide base up to a small narrow base, and at the top of it is the balanced rock balanced on top of it, which again looks like it should have been blown over, knocked over, jarred loose or something over the time that it's been sitting there. Um, but when I saw that, that really tripped me out because when I first saw it, I said, it looks like a fish head alien because the way it's shaped, the way it tapers to the front with a ridge coming down the, the center, and then it's got a mouth that's open right where the mouth should be and is not and it's symmetrical it's it's elongated but it's symmetrical and i'm going this is just too coincidental it looks like a fish head alien to me and if you look at the picture of what we're looking at now and you zoom in and you look at the lighted pillar you will see what looks like a fish head sort of like what's sitting on top of that balanced rock. And there is a slit right across where a mouth would be, whereas the balanced rock has an oval-shaped opening like the mouth is open, where this one just looks like it has a slit. Later on, we get to a comparison of them. But I found that was pretty, you know, odds were against that because these things are in two different locations and for this to be sitting up there, and if I had known it was there, I would have gone down the pathway and gone out further away so I could take in a picture looking at it from the side because I can't tell if it's separated from the, the rock behind it or not, even though it looks like it is. But I wanted to be sure. If anybody living in Utah can take a picture of that from the side, I'd appreciate it and send it to me because I would really like to see if this is separated from it and sitting on a little pedestal underneath of it. Um, anyway. You know what it remind me of? What does that remind you of? Uh, the, uh, the physics of two ice cubes stuck together. Okay. You know, think of two, think of two, uh, you know, think of two ice cubes and then in a recently emptied glass and they kind of fuse together and the one that they're, but they're not lined up. They're not centered. They're just stuck there. Okay. 
well, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like a shaman showing off. I mean, it's uh, the other visual I get is like uh, Fantasia, you know, like the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Okay. Waving your arms around and you're whirling things around and you can move matter this way and that. And I mean, that's about the only way I could see them being fabricated. Okay. Well, picture two, uh, picture number two, it was just a close up of the thing that caught my attention when I first, when I first saw it. Uh, picture number three, um, these are all my pictures. I took these personally and I'm looking at this unusual structure. It looks like it's been carved. Per, uh, it looks like it's been carved deliberately for either statues or something standing along the top. The base has got a flat, flush, um, steep slopes. They're, they're not even slopes. They're just flush. And uh, there's a whole lot of these all over the place down there. And they seem to make right angle turns and other corners that just don't look like nature came along and said, oh, let's do this. And if you look at the foreground of that, you'll see this perfect little square or rectangular uh, cylinder sticking up out of the ground. And they're saying all of this stuff is natural. I, I seriously have my doubts when it comes to that. Um, even if this was underwater, uh, it's really hard for nature to, to actually form something like that. So let's go to picture number four. Picture number four, because when I saw this, I said, this is a statue of a figure. It's looking over its left shoulder and the shoulders, the body, it's all there. And if it wasn't for the light flare coming in from the side, it would be a lot more detailed. But I was taking pictures and moving on. But <clears throat> you can virtually see the nose and the mouth in this thing. And I'm going, this is too much of a coincidence that even the chest, the neck is narrow, the chest stands out. And... I remember um, listening to an Art Bell show, and he was interviewing a Native American descendant, and he had taken pictures in this sacred area that they didn't let anybody know about. And in this area, there were these huge statues. I mean, they were huge, and they were they were carved into the the. Uh, outcrops just like this and some of them had looked like angels with wings on them and others looked like just figures and but they looked similar to how this one looks now he didn't say where it was because it was a sacred area f for the native americans and they weren't gonna you know let people know where it was because people would go in and do who knows what look what happened to the monolith in utah okay when people started flocking into there uh, in the middle of the night, some guys came out, decided they're going to tear it down and make a statement about that's what you get for leaving garbage in the desert or something like that. And I'm, 
And that thing had been sitting there since 2015. But we're going to talk about that when we get further down in, the, in, in my images. But this kind of image is the kind of stuff that I was seeing showing up again and again and again in Utah. And I just, every place I turned, it was like, this place is littered with artifacts and nobody sees it. Now, when we get down to picture five, if you click on picture five, here we have the sheer cliffs again. They're just, but if you look at the very bottom, you'll see along that flat side, there is a relief sticking out from everything else that's just flat and sheer. And there's nothing that should create something like that naturally. And if you look at the shadow of it, you can see that it is raised from that face because it is sitting away from it, casting the shadow. Now, I sat and I pondered about this and I pondered and you can zoom in on that too if you'd want to. You click on it or you know, do the uh, mouse zoom. But it looked to me like someone sitting in a chair with the two knees and something else going on, the hand, arm across their lap. But it's weird looking because it doesn't look like a humanoid figure, even though it looks like it's got two legs. But then there's this other side of it, almost a, a mirror back, but it's quite, kind of different. But it just doesn't look like it belongs there because the rest of the face is all been smooth, and smooth all the way down. But then if you go in front of that to the left, you'll see that there is a triangular area that looks like it has been gouged out or carved out or something. Again, almost it's not as deep, but almost like another four, uh, false door. And if you look at the details of that, it's got something rectangular hanging down inside of it. Again, this does not look like it is natural. So I'm looking at all of these things in Utah and wondering, was this the work of the Anunnaki? Is this the stuff that they had a base in Utah? And this is stuff they had left behind. Now, in um, in picture number six, am I right? Number six. In number six, that's a close-up of the relief sticking out from that face. And if you zoom in and get very close to it, you will see that there's, this just does not belong sitting where it's sitting. It should not be there. Um, and then if you scroll over to the, to the left, you'll see that almost another false door type thing right there. But I could just dismiss these things because it's possible. It could be all natural, but that relief just does not reek of natural. 
Uh, Keith, don't you think that uh, there could be occasions where somebody would see something that reminded them of, you know, with their artistic side in full flower, they would say, you know, that almost looks like a profile and they might attack it with a sharper stone or, you know, whatever was appropriate or a paintbrush, it would depend, uh, and, um, you know, kind of finish it off. And, you know, that would weather through the years like everything else, but it's, uh, uh, you know, somebody may have in fact, uh, sort of, there must be a term for that. I don't know what it is, but, you know, added their sculptural skills to something that was already, uh, partly there by nature. Because I can't see the Anunnaki making um, whoever they might have been, uh, you know, choosing that as an artistic outlet, if they have any. I mean, I know that that vaguely rectangular area you're talking about, that's just something that happens with sedimentary rock. It layers in various directions. It doesn't, it's not just simple layers like a, um, a beach drink or a, uh, cake, you know, it's uh, it can um, it can sort of fall down the sides and smear layers uh, vertically as well. But it's um, you know it has because it, it is composed of different materials. Well, I understand. I, mean, I understand exactly what you mean because a lot of the ancients yeah. they would see an image in something, and then they would just kind of bring that image out by carving or or chiseling or whatever to to bring out what they saw in it exactly perfect it right. as it were the yeah what michelangelo said about the abstract of um sculpture that you just uh you look at a piece of stone and then you take away everything that doesn't belong yeah. well the, yeah. remember yeah. I, I i i'm pretty sure i brought this up but I, I mentioned and last time I was talking about how I think that these guys back in the past had the ability to manipulate stone on a molecular level, and they could extrude things from the stone, uh, sort of like a vacuum form, and mm-hmm. that's how the the release of the Anunnaki with the bird wings and everything with cuneiform writing actually bending and bowing over top of the curvatures of the relief without getting distorted or, or something weird. I think they put the cuneiform down first, extruded the rock, which then just bend and bowed the, the lines and the cuneiform so that they float over top of the curves. Um, I can't see any other way that they could have done that and then come back along, first put the relief there, and then come back, put the cuneiform over it, and made it flow so smoothly over top of the rock. Uh, well, I completely agree with you about the talent. You know, the, uh, I think that I think they did have, there was or is a forgotten way to do that. Maybe the physics has changed, as, as Richard would have put it. It's just not the, um, it's not as easy to do anymore. But yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with you. But how would anyone listening have any idea that that's what you meant if they hadn't heard you before? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's that. So let's just clarify it. But yes, yes, manipulating the stone on a molecular level or whatever the material might be, uh, that's that uh, sorcerer's apprentice sort of factor that I was talking about. 
it might even apply to things like uh, Edward Bleed Scallion, Scallion and uh, Scallion and uh, Carl Castle. You know, that's because people still aren't sure exactly what he was doing. But yeah, yeah, no, of course. You know, well, that, the, um, I, I did say it before is that I think that's how they made these irregular shaped stones fit so perfectly is because they would move material from one side down into a, a section of that stone. And that's what the perturbances are that stick out. And that's the excess. And then they would chisel it off, pull a little more material into it to smooth it over. And voila, it, you get a perfectly tight fit uh, of the stones. Uh, <clears throat> And the reason I said that is I had a picture that I showed, I think it's in um, in my other uh, lecture that I gave, and it was a unfinished like waterfall that they had built with these stair steps on each side or protrusions that looked like stair steps, but they weren't stair steps, but that was just the pattern. And one side where the the perturbance was on the opposite side that was still there it was no perturbance because it looked like they had chiseled it away but they hadn't pulled the other material in to smooth it over and the other side hadn't completely been rendered so that it wasn't as deep as the other side so it was still in construction and they were still moving material to get the pattern that they wanted now, I would love to know how they did it because that would make all kinds of artwork and construction and things so much simpler, but they must have had some simple way of doing it that we don't we don't even look at because it's too simple for us. Remember, everything that our scientists do has got to be complicated. It's got to be uh, hard to do. It can't be something simple like maybe sound and light or sound and uh, electromagnetic energy. But I think they had that ability. Uh, we're coming up on the break. So we're like one minute out from the break. Uh, I think Cynthia is going to take us out. And uh, we'll be back after the break. Cynthia? Uh, Thank you, Keith. Amazing listening to this journey as you're discovering so you're on the other side of midnight with Keith Morgan and Ron Gervon in conversation about possible Anunnaki artifacts. And this is Kinthea, and the show is called A Terrestrial Connection, and we will be back. See Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. 
Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. We're standing into Richard Hoagland, Richard C. Hoagland, and it's myself, Kinthea, with Keith Morgan and Ron Zubron. The show is called A Terrestrial Connection. So, Keith, please continue. Thank you, Kinthea. Okay, I'm going to pick up with uh, where I left off. Uh, image number seven. Uh, that was another one that when I saw how that looked, those are two statues standing back to back. And what got me on that was that there's two heads. One is facing one way and the other one's facing the other. And if this is just a natural formation, how come these protrusions are at the top where the head should be rather down rather than being down in the middle or one at the top and one at the bottom and or one in the middle or something like that. Uh, these look like two statues. One looks like Anubis facing one direction and the other one, uh, it looks like a face or something facing the opposite direction, maybe with a, some kind of hat on. Um, but I found that to be interesting as well. And as I walked around it, I have other pictures of 
from different angles, it still gave that impression that these were statues standing back to back to each other. Um, let me move on because uh, someone said I missed one of the uh, alien heads and that's what number picture number eight is. If you click on picture number eight, this image, or they call this the balanced rock. Uh, that's the one on the side, yes. on the left side. And balanced rock, to me, looks like a fish head alien. And that rock is so perfectly balanced up there. It just does not make sense that this is still sitting there after probably thousands of years. And it hasn't broken off, rolled off, or anything along those lines. But then there's other stuff like the structure behind it which has this weird pattern to it in shape. And it just doesn't fit the fractal pattern of this area of Utah. Both of these things look like they're aged um, sculptures that have just weathered away. I keep wondering what will Mount uh, Rushmore look like in a thousand years or 2000 years, let alone 500,000 years. The, uh, Keith, yeah, I got a I got a thought on that. I um, not throwing a flag on the play, but unlike number nine, where you can see quite clearly the collar sort of aspect of it, yeah, those always look crazy when they're balanced like that. But that's exactly what you get with sedimentary layers because some are stronger than others. Uh, the Sphinx in Giza uh, is uh, three different types of uh, sandstone in layers mm -hmm. and they were aware of that when they carved it because mm. the um uh the hardest uh you know the hardest part is uh actually down by the feet but the um uh they were covered by water for most of its its existence you know it has that same sort of striation and that's what that is and you can get everything else rotting away you're right it's been there for a million years i mean that stuff has been um uh, eroding away for a long time and you end up with it like that. Eventually they fall down. Uh, there's uh, anybody that's, that watched Game of Thrones, that, that natural bridge that they sailed under in so many scenes. I think it was the entrance to, um, I can't remember which city it was. Well, I don't think it was Bravos. But anyway, that fell down. <laughs> it fell down when they were in the, uh, the it wasn't their fault because they never did anything but take pictures of it from afar. But it's, uh, yeah, they do, they do break eventually. Uh, one of the ones in Utah fell down uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it was a tourist attraction. I remember seeing an item about it. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, yeah, it can, it can happen. This one's just been lucky <laughs> so far. It, um, uh, but I have no doubt that somebody that was going to sculpt it would take advantage of the different textures of the rock. But it's uh, yeah, because they, they it's it's you know basically different material. So parts of it will will when they do eventually rot away, they'll crumble, and you'll get a, an effect like you know cement falling apart. Mm -hmm. And the stuff that's a little smoother in um, texture will erode, and uh, so it'll exaggerate the difference between them. But, you know, some of that stuff is natural. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a very interesting formation, though. Yeah. Well, you see that 
ridge, brow ridge at the top that the head slopes into it and then it comes down. If you zoom in on that head, you're going to see a pattern on the right side that looks like somebody carved something into it. And you can clearly see that's carved into it. And is that, is that representing the eye? Um, and well, if it's a fish head, like if it's a fish head, like in uh, Sumerian or Babylonian myth, yeah, sure. Yeah, and and if you lighten this up, I didn't lighten it up, but the side that's in shadow yeah. on the left side, you will see another looks like a another type of eye. So that caught my those two objects caught my attention, and I'm still looking at this as being artificial. I think this probably got rebarb or something in there to keep this thing fixed in place, and that's why it hasn't gone anywhere. But oh, do you really think it would need that? I don't know. It 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 yeah. just looks like the weight of it does not conform to being perfectly balanced, even when the wind is blowing. And you know they get some serious winds down there. But this thing seems to have defied that, and. They do, and some some of them are literally some of those occurrences are literally balanced rocks. You know, mm-hmm. they will rock back and forth in the wind and so forth. Mm-hmm. And where was it? Was it Australia? Uh, there was a uh, or Arizona. I they, maybe because they both start with A. I don't know somewhere. In the, I think it was in the southwest, not Australia, but it was just in the recent past, in the last couple of years, uh, some vandals got arrested they actually caught some people that were responsible for knocking one of those over oh okay you know they just thought yeah well we'll see how tough this is you know and they actually um they um maybe uh maybe emulating the people that were trying to pick up thor's hammer at the beginning of one of the marvel movies uh but they uh yeah they managed to knock it over with their truck or something and fortunately they caught them and that's why yeah. I that's why I don't blame the Native Americans for not letting people know where their sacred lands are at with those statues, because Amen. <laughs> people will yeah. go in and say, no, this don't fit my beliefs and start tearing stuff down, which is kind of stupid. But if- oh, the oldest, the, yeah, the oldest ideograms in uh, known in North America are up in uh, Santa Barbara, around Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they, just like two years ago, two people out there on a weekend, they cover, they cover, they put graffiti all over the place. These are rock inscriptions that were painted there 30 some thousand years ago. And they said, oh, well, if I just put a couple feet on this, it looks like a cow. Ha, ha, ha. You know, this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No yeah, I know. People are pigs. No, uh, they're pigs. Oh, well. So if you go to, go Im- if you go to image 10, Okay, image 10 is that pillar that is on that same um, mesa where the uh, the Egyptian headdress profile is at, that lit up pillar. And, right. And if you look at, look at number 10, I've got a side-by-side, and I, I'm looking at fish heads, the fish head aliens and why is there one here and then there's the one on the balanced rock and they're almost identical except the mouth isn't open on the one uh, on the left but 
it even looks like there's a slot for an eye, and it looks like there's another spot on the uh, shadowed side that looks like an eye. And I'm going, this thing is also perched or balanced on looks like a pedestal underneath of it. But I couldn't get a shot from the side of it because I didn't know it was there. If I had known when I was there that that was sitting there, I would have definitely gone around to the side and taken a shot from from a different angle. So that's why I said if, if there's somebody in Utah that could get a shot of that from the side and so I could see that from a different angle, that would probably be a clincher for me that these two guys are one and the same. Somebody, it's all about the shadows. Yeah. You really think it looks the same? Well, not, not exactly the same, but look yeah. at look at how the the profile on the one on the right has that ridge mm-hmm. that comes down the center, right? Yeah. The more I look at it, the more it looks like a bird okay. instead of a fish. Yeah. I mean, I could say I, I literally a chickadee, um, you know, a parakeet, parakeet sort of bird. I mean, they did venerate that, you know, the Indians, uh, um, and they certainly had more birds around than we do now. I, it, it could be a fish. I don't know, but it's it looks like a face. You're right. The, the one on the left, I'm not as convinced, but maybe you just need another sun angle. Unless it's just like a simpler statue and there's a, there's a fairly human-looking head at the top. It, it just I can kind of see that through the blur. Both of them look like they come to a point in the front. Um, and is yeah, it, you need a different sun angle. Yeah, it's just a, it's just it, to me it's too coincidental that two objects like this that are almost that one exactly in number eleven is yeah that one in number eleven that's it. There's definitely a face there. Okay, let's go to number eleven at, at the top. Yeah. Well, it's you know it's the same it's same neighborhood. It's right next to it. So yeah, it's right so, behind it. Yeah, it's right behind it. Yeah. So yeah, there's and um, yeah, that's and that's just the kind of situation where you could see someone clamoring up there and um, sort of improving it. You know, a long, long time ago to get it just right. Because um, um, that's uh, that's been credited in um, archaeological journals relative to Central America. There's a lot of areas, even some of the ones that you think of as pretty inhospitable, like the, what they call the Mosquito Coast, the um, river that winds around uh, in Central America. And it looks very lovely in Indiana Jones movies and everything else, and there's all this jungle and there's all kinds of ruins under the jungle, but uh, that was all sculpted. I mean, that, that was as terraformed as Disneyland at some point in the past. Yeah. You know, and then they then they just lost control of the landscape. So some of these could be the same um, uh, same situation. You know, they said the circumstances around them could have been far, far different when they were uh, initially um, used, venerated, built, whatever you want to say, you know. So that's and they're just the last uh, the last reminders standing alone. Yeah, and in uh, eleven, in that uh, right side, it looks like a a face with a I am assuming that's a beard or long chin, one of the two, um, and it it just doesn't belong there. And up above, 
if you look at that, what's right above that head, it almost looks like there's a bird on the back with the with the uh, beak and an eye. And I, I don't know if that's what I'm looking at or what, but it just looks coincidental like it's like there's a bird perched on his back or above him. And I don't know. Anyway, these are, it could be the angel of death wrapping its wings around him from the back. And he hasn't noticed yet. I mean, yeah. Um, He's an awfully pointy chin. But like I said, these things are scattered all over Utah, and nobody seems to be paying them any paying it any attention. Uh, if, if we go to number twelve, that one, I was blown away. I was like, "How are they gonna say this is natural?" I'm looking at oh, that. that's a knockout. Yeah, and the thing is, if if you draw a, a line through this guy's face. Because he's looking up in the sky, and you draw a line through him, and you come down perpendicular to the whole thing, you're going to get a 45-degree angle. I mean, it's it's angled at 45 degrees looking up into the sky. But is that rock or whatever behind it, you know, a turtle back or something or – He's a turtle. Yeah, but then if you look really close, it looks like – in the right between the turtle back and the side of that that face looking up at 45 degree angle it looks like the head of a fox or something right there um and i didn't you know when i took these pictures i didn't have enough time to sit there and study everything and you know get really close shots and see if i could see all the details because i was blown away by this stuff but I didn't get to have the time to really look at this stuff like I wanted to. And, um, but I said, I'm seeing too much stuff. And then I was driving up the road, one of the roads, and I look out the window and I look across the road. And here is, it looks like, it looks like one of the Anunnaki statues with the braided beard on the bottom coming out, but the head is looking up into the sky Again, at an angle, but it's not a 45-degree angle. It's it's much steeper. And I'm going, what, people don't see this stuff? They look at it, and they don't recognize what they're looking at? I mean, it, that had so much detail in it. I was like, I was just awed by all the stuff I was looking at. And I'm going, this is not a raw shock test. I go by the odds and probability. And when you get these many objects that just don't fit in the same area, probability starts to go through the roof here and says, this is not natural. These objects were formed by something, some intelligence. They did work on them. They did something, and they have weathered over time, and they just look more natural than they do artificial at this point in time. But if you look mm-hmm. at them, you can see that, that somebody did artwork on this stuff. It's not just you know what coincidence. Yeah. You know what the best thing in that picture is? What's that? The the car, the little bitty car, oh, gives I mean, you a sense of yeah. gives you a sense of it's a, for anybody that doesn't notice it instantly. It's you know it's uh, 
a bit right of center and the um you know and down toward the bottom i mean just follow the road around from the bottom of the picture and you say oh a car and then you look at that car and you look at the things that you're describing behind it and just it gives you a sense of the scale of this how big that stuff is oh yeah you know it's 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 absolutely yeah it's absolutely wonderful that's um yeah, you're right. There's a lot of this kind of thing in Utah, but that's that's a particularly good shot right there. Yeah. Oh, and there's an arch. The next one you get an arch. Okay, cool. Yeah, we get an arch. So now the 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 one the the Utah arch. Uh, I I put the one picture in here, but you can zoom in on this because the resolution is very high. And if you look at this arch off in the distance, the center of the picture. This is what they put on their, their calendars and so forth that they sell at the souvenir shop. But they never show you all the rest of the stuff on the top of this mesa. And as you zoom in on this, you're going to see that there's no way in heck this stuff just formed on top of this mesa, even if it is underwater. You do not get this kind of artwork or construction it it just it just doesn't fit and even that arch if you can get in close on that it's got almost like a disc on the top of it right at the top of the arch just flat disc <laughs> of course that shouldn't be up there but they want to make all of this stuff natural so it can stick with the paradigm that, oh, this stuff was created, uh, nature created all of this stuff, and it just happens to look like this. And your imagination is making it all look like it's just uh, you know, familiar objects. Uh, this stuff. The explanations are a little weak. Yeah. And when I saw I where this was sitting, and I saw all the stuff across the top of this mesa, I was, again, blown away. I thought that arch was just sitting out there by itself. And I thought it was lower down. It's No, it's up on top of a mesa. And it just, that's when I said, okay, what is wrong with these people? They can't see what's sitting in front of them. They're looking, but they don't see. Uh, and that's... That's one of the problems that we have as human beings. We, we come across things, and if it doesn't fit I, our ideas or what we have been taught as to be our ideas, then we just throw it out. Oh, that's, that's got to be natural. Eh, it, it just looks that way. Oh, it's pareidolia. It's a rock shock test. Mm. No. If... If you don't look at this stuff the way it is, you'll never see what's in front of you to investigate. If they can't see the stuff sitting here in Utah or the Badlands Guardian, the Badlands Guardian Companion sitting in Canada, and they dismiss that, how the heck are they going to see a face staring up at us in the Sedonia region on Mars? How are they going to accept that? They can't. They They won't accept it because... It doesn't fit their paradigm. It has to be, this is just a natural formation. It's a trick of light and shadow, and it doesn't belong there. It, it's, 
it can't be there. And they dismiss it. And if it wasn't for me sure. finding the, the curve and Hoagland pointing out all the other mathematical alignments, Earl Torrin doing the math on the five-sided pyramid, Dr. Carlotto doing the 3D shape from shading, all of the other stuff that science is supposed to do when they find something that sticks out like a sore thumb, they just dismiss it. And then when it gets challenged, well, they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, Keith, when they, they want to... Uh... You know, when you're dealing with stuff that's in the box, the reality box, uh, you want all that to be nice and stable. So they don't want to come up with conditional rules. (laughs) And so therefore they pick one and they stick by it and then they try and make all the evidence uh, fit that. And it doesn't always work, I don't think. I mean, do you know there's no final word on how the Grand Canyon was formed? Yep. You know, you've probably heard you've probably heard uh, most of the of the range of ideas that go all the way from it was, you know, formed by a snap God's fingers to it was formed in a matter of days by the great cataclysm when the when the waters rained down from the firmament and all that other kind of stuff. And or it was formed over tens of thousands of years by erosion. Yeah. And none of them work. None of the models really work. Obviously, that all plays a part, but they, yeah, and they won't, so they can't just pick one. And when it comes to this stuff, where the, it would have had to have been deep underwater, and yet if you go deep underwater in a submersible with a camera and you poke around, this is not the kind of stuff you find. You know, this is not how that erosion happens there. <laughs> so how how is it that it applies here? I submit that this, the actual Occam's razor's simplest way to an answer uh, is that the physics has changed a bit, and it used to be possible for stuff to happen in ways that it doesn't happen now. And that kind of left things in kind of a messed up, solidified situation. Um, the, uh, and you, if you look for evidence for that, you keep finding more and more of it. I found something just last week about Stonehenge because some new research, believe it or not, was done on some of the stones. Now, they, uh, they've uh, tested and looked at and measured and extrapolated about the dolmens and the um, altar stone and things like that. But the sarsen stones, the big ones that stick up, uh, that everything, you know, the mainstay, uh, they never really researched them much. And there were core samples taken when one of them fell over and broke. And they actually repaired it by sticking a couple of steel rods in it to, you know, to put the pieces back together. And they, that meant that they had to take a core sample. So they literally drilled a, cil- a cylinder out of this thing in order to make room for the metal rods. And uh, they saved that. And they used little bits of it to camouflage where the rod was so that it wouldn't dis- disturb the tourists. But, I mean, you know, they fixed it. And they so they were able to measure that in a way they've never been able to before. And they discovered that those sarsen stones are mostly made out of quartz, which mm. was a surprise. And But they have an odd matrix to them. There are places where it should have been broken, and it's like it's pasted together with some sort of cement. And it's literally a quartz cement and nobody's ever heard of such a thing and the uh, they just make an offhand comment in the in the research you know the lab results saying well i you know uh, we wish we could uh, replicate this 
and they put it in quote quartz cement, it would be useful for all sorts of things. But you know, it did not. It does not seem like a natural process. Well, the the so large you could buy hmm? the large trench on Mars, the bigger than the Grand Canyon, Valles Marineris. Valles yeah. Marineris, yeah, largest it's, in the solar system. Uh, that couldn't have been made by running water because it's it's capped off at the end, right? So where did the, uh, the water road that down? Yeah, I think that was I think that was the result of impacts. But again, yeah, you bring up another one. You know, we talk about Mars, and yet, uh, you know, is there is there uniformity as to how Mars ended up on its own when it clearly used to be part of a family? No. Yeah. You know, it's uh, uh, there's they just leave these details hanging, and they work on the super the um, in a particular discipline they work on the superficial okay. aspects that they have got a handle on. Ron, we're at the break time. Yeah. So continue. You there? Here we go again. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. And tonight we're in conversation with John Ron Gerbron and Keith Morgan. And we'll be back after the break. C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends. 
and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Video at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Tonight we have a conversation with Keith Morgan and Ron Gibran. We're on the other side of midnight. This is Kintia. And And Discovery. (laughs) Discovery. Uh, Don't keep us hanging. (laughs) Thank you, Kintia. Uh, we're going to pick up where I left off again. Um, this is getting, Good plan. getting really interesting. Um, let's see. 12. I'm at 12. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to get some other stuff square. Number 12. Yeah. Picture number 12. Okay. Well, well, actually, you were talking about the arch, which is yeah, 13. We're 13. So, I don't know. so we're at 13. So the, <clears throat> the arch... And those objects, like I said, don't belong there. And because the resolution is high, you guys can actually zoom in and look at it for yourself. And you can make your own determination whether this stuff belongs there or not. So those are the last of my pictures that I actually took personally at the um, Utah Arch Park or Utah uh, Arch National Park. And... I like I said, a lot of the stuff I didn't uh, that I couldn't put in here. I was blown away by just all of the different things. But then we we're going to pick up uh, and talk about the uh, the monolith that showed up in 2019. Yeah, it was it showed up in Utah, and it was found because. Uh, some guys in a helicopter were counting sheep or something like that, and they saw a glint off of something from the sun, and they went over to investigate, and they found the arch. I mean, not the arch. I mean, the, the monolith. We're the monolith. It monolith. And 
then when the word got out, everybody started flowing into the area to check it out. And it became a uh, tourist attraction virtually. And then when the pictures came out from that area, I was blown away. Not about the monolith. Forget the monolith. Look at the artwork around the monolith. So if you look at 14, right, that was one of the first pictures I saw come out of the area. And I'm looking at this, and I'm going, nobody sees the head of the puma sticking out the left side of the mouth. <laughs> oh, God. It's a puma with the mouth open, the eye. It's too many details. But there it is, and nobody noticed it. And I'm going, it walking in here, looking at this, and then not looking at the artwork on the walls around it. And then I noticed on the, the right side, there was these openings. I couldn't make out what they were. But then I noticed that from the right side, like one-third or one, one-third of the way down from the top, there's this curve that curves down into towards the openings. And I said, that looks really, really smooth to be something done by nature. It looks too smooth. And I kept wondering, what is it that's in that section with the holes? Because one of the holes at the bottom, you can see the gap behind it. But then there's a connection between spanning the gap going down to this other section and I couldn't figure out what it was. But then as I looked at the other pictures that came out, these are all screen grabs from videos that I came across because it was easy to grab those and try to get my own pictures. But uh, if we go to the next picture, which is 15, now we're looking down into that little valley area where the monolith is standing. And if you can see behind to the left of the monolith, you can see the puma head. My wife thinks it looks like a dinosaur, and R.C. Hoagland thinks it looks like a dinosaur. To me, it looks like a puma head. But if you look to the right where that opening and the, the, the holes and that slope was at, if you zoom in on that, That's a face of a feline, a cat. Nose, eyes, I'm going, holy. And now I realized what I was looking at because we were too close to look at it. It is an image of a lion uh, or a cat. And I'm saying, okay, we got a puma on the left side. Now we got this big head of a cat on the right side that you can only see when you're looking down into the valley. And if you look at this picture, I want these idiots came along and tore down the, the the monolith. But if you look to the right of the puma head, there's like this outcove right there that's embedded in the wall. After they tore this thing down, one of the photographers took a picture looking at the puma head. Now you can see that outcove over there. What I saw in that cove is an eagle. And if you follow the eagle around the shape down to the legs, you see the talons, and it's it's amazing. 
This is artwork. This whole area is surrounded by ancient artwork, and nobody sees it. And I'm going, they walk in here, they look at this thing, and they didn't look at any of the other artwork around it. Nobody mentioned it. Nobody pointed it out. And I'm going, guys, this is Utah. We have strange objects all over the place, and you walk in here, and you don't see the puma head. You don't see the cat head. You don't see any of the stuff. How? How can you go into an area like this and not realize you're surrounded by ancient artwork? You don't have to be an archaeologist to see, hey, you know, that looks like a cat. Oh, you know, that looks like a puma. And then when you look around the rest of the stuff, there's stuff that's painted. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I'm just blown away at just looking at the puma head and the cat head, let alone the alcove that's got the, the the eagle in it. That's just that's just crazy. Um, I I'm not reading stuff into this. Like I said, probability says these things are not natural. If the puma head was there by itself and the rest of the walls were smooth and nothing else. I'd go, yeah, yeah, it's just a rock sticking out the wall. But then when you get the wide shot and you see the cat head there, you got to say, hey, there's more here than what we think there is because there's two feline images here. To me, there's, that's a puma head, not a dinosaur. But we've got two images that are feline. And then when you look on the wall – there's painted artwork, and you're going to see that in a minute. So I'm going to go to the next the next uh, image, which is uh, 16. Uh, Keith? Yeah. You had a question? Just let me inter- interject here. Well, no. You're t- um, as to whether it's a dinosaur or a lion, um, well, of course, I like the idea of a dinosaur, but the uh, – Panthera leo atrox, which was the North American cave lion, mm-hmm. uh, about about a third bigger than a uh, full-on African lion today, and they didn't have a mane on the males. Uh, other than that, they look pretty much like a lion. But, uh, yeah, they've been extinct for, oh, 12 to 14,000 years. In other words, putting them right in that same time period when everything else seems to have happened at the uh, transition from the last ice age. And so there could have been some still around, but so, you know, the uh, idea of it being a lion or something like that is, um, you know, highly likely. It's probably the probable that the dinosaurs in that area were, have been extinct a little bit longer. Okay. I just uh, (laughs) throw that in. So so I did. Yeah. Emotionally, I vote for the dinosaur, but uh, uh, realistically, historically, anthropologically, I guess I'd have to vote for the lion. But that's not the uh, – I mean, American Indians don't tend to be cat worshippers. You know, that was like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it, so that in itself is peculiar. There's, there's definitely stuff that we don't know about. So I'm going to – Go ahead. Sorry. I'm going to go to 16, okay? Now, here's this boulder, and I'm looking at the boulder, and I'm going, something's not right about this boulder, Okay. 
First of all, the left-hand side of this boulder, the back side's got this perfect curve that curves around and goes down to the bottom. And then there's this flat section, and it cuts back up at an angle, and it's got this little gap there. I'm looking at the curve going, wow, that is too clean, is too sculptured to be a natural boulder that came out looking like that. But then as you move around to the right side, you'll see this, what looks like an ear. And if you keep going around, the front of this thing looks like the front of a uh, a monkey. It's got the nose, it's got like a mouth, an eye. But then between the ear and right to the right of the ear, there is this square or rectangular section. And I'm going, wait a minute. There's something weird about that. And if you guys zoom in on that, okay, you're going to see three cylindrical pillars etched into the side of, in this rectangular area or square area, however you want to look at it. And if you can zoom in uh, close enough, you're going to notice that these things have a pattern to them. And they're almost stair-step from the smallest to the largest going from left to right. But then there's something that's diagonal across in there. I don't know what... Where exactly is the monkey? Oh, where exactly is... That's the whole the whole right side of that. You, you have to... You have to look at the way it slopes in the front. It looks more like a... Oh... Oh no! Well, I okay. I see. I see that. Yeah. Well, to me, that looks like a large face with a mellow expression and a wide nose. Okay. Uh, looks for it. Looks very human. And from the positioning, uh, yeah, that looks like a, that thing looks like a turtle. And I don't mean it in the aquarium sense. The because um, uh, that, but that was, and that was more Mesoamerican. That wasn't up there in in Utah. They, um, it's like the, uh, in Guatemala, there's that, uh, there's a couple of sites where they have these things and they would take a great big boulder and they would completely sculpt the entire outside of the boulder all over. Mm-hmm. And this looks like softer material. So it would erode a little faster, even though I don't think it's rained a lot in that area for a long time, but I could be wrong. But see, um, I, I can dismiss but, the monkey face or face I'm looking at no, the, that's a face. That's, yeah, yeah. But I'm looking at the, be... the three pillars that are in that square or rectangular area. They're perpendicular. I mean, they're parallel to each other. They've got some kind of pattern on them. And this is a screen grab, so I could I didn't take the picture, but I would have loved to have gotten a close up of that just to see the details in it because that shouldn't be. They there. look like paper clips. They look like paper clips. Yeah. In shape. It, I mean, it's because there's that crossbar that's hanging at an angle. I, uh, I, I loathe to compare them to something else, but they do look a very great deal like some similar depictions that people claim are seen on some of the carvings at Gobekli Tepe, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, oh, well, those are granaries. That's the explanation I've seen. They don't look like granaries to me, but those just officially. Uh, I'll assume they know something about what they're talking about. 
the uh, yeah, they look just like those. So that could be a depiction of the same thing. Because that's exactly how those kind of comp- composed surfaces work. They have a whole. They tell a whole story. So yeah. there would be a whole diorama telling a story running around it, and there would be a great big face representing the um, principal, um, or an extremely detailed smaller face, which represents the principal. You know, a leader, an icon, an avatar, or something, somebody. And yeah, it fits all of that. It's got, like I said, it's got less detail than those Middle American ones, but from where it's sitting, you know, that's not terribly surprising. And that's a cultural anachronism. It shouldn't be there for that, for the cultures that we know of in that area. Yep. I'm just looking at that detail. That Yeah, you caught it. Somebody carved that. That's not uh, erosion. That's not somebody carved that into this. So this whole thing, I don't know what it is. It could be a head that was on top of a statue or whatever, but it it's artwork again. Somebody. No, it's got feet. Mm-hmm. Underneath the whole boulder, look at that little arch there. You know, clearing the ground. No, it's yep. got you know, it's got pads. It's, yep. It was no, it's 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 just what you see. It's uh, uh, that's a turtle. That's one of those turtles. Hmm, cool. I never noticed it that way before. Now, if we go to 17, picture 17, okay? Mm-hmm. I was looking at this, and again, I was blown away by what I'm looking at here. And people say, oh, you know, those streaks are, uh, that's just water that's run down and left these streaks. No, that's paint. This is artwork. Somebody painted this. There is another thing. Looks like it's got antlers on it. But then when you look on that ledge to the left center, what do you see sitting on that ledge? Uh, a cupid owl. If I knock down a line of those, I get a free stuffed animal. It looks like an owl to me. It looks like an owl that was carved or, or something. But it looks like an owl. And all of this this painted artwork to the upper right of the owl, there's something that looks like it's got antlers sticking up. And if you zoom in on it, you will see that there is a lot of detail of something that is I don't I don't know what this image is. But it's definitely not natural. This was painted on. Some of this was painted on, and I don't get it. I don't know what it is. Do you recognize anything in there besides that look like a, a elk with the eye and the, the nose and the, the mouth? Do, do you see that? Yeah, well, the little totem statue thing there is, I'm not sure it looks like an owl to me, but it's definitely definitely something. Well, it looks kind of like a cross between a pussycat and a buffalo, but I don't but know. Um, to me, it looks but like that an stuff owl. up above the, the plant. Yeah, okay. No, that's it's perfectly fair. I sometimes you sometimes it's a, there's a cultural determination. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Uh, but that stuff up above the lighter color that you know defining something. Mm-hmm. Which was probably a lot more detailed at some point in the in the past. Um, no, I, that looks like uh, plant life. 
I mean, not growing plants. I mean, pictures. Pictures of, of plants. Of, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's uh, the uh, there's definitely a story there, but you need a you need somebody to tell the story to fill it in. It's always a matter of context. But yeah, you're right. There's uh, there's something depicted there. Yeah. And of course, they'll take advantage of natural erosion and any natural discolorations if it serves their purposes. They did the same thing 30,000 years ago in the cave paintings of places like Chauvet. Mm. The, um, and yet the stuff is so frighteningly realistic in a, when you you know, look at it carefully, like you're trying to do these, that uh, it, you're going, wow, we haven't learned a thing. I mean, which I think is what Picasso said when he saw some of the cave paintings. Because they'll show... Several lions, and we're talking those self-same cave lions, uh, stalking out a herd. I mean, they're actually depictions of that. You know, they're looking at, they're up on a ridge, looking down at a herd of of uh, bison or something, and uh, one of them's kind of resting its chin on its hand on its paws, and another one's kind of erect and looking carefully, and exactly the kind of postures that you see in the real, you know, in real life lions. And uh, so this is the same thing. They were depicting something that was natural to them, but it's just, you know, they're just the stylistic differences once you figure them out. It looks like there's something behind it, you know, like there's a richer diorama there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at the the right side. You see the 90-degree turn um, uh, on the right side. There's a carved 90-degree turn right there. Uh, sure. And then, then there's the three vertical parallel lines that are kind of angled slightly. They're white lines. Yeah. I, that that just tells me that this is this is artificial. Somebody painted yeah, this I stuff mean, in here. And they look like Triffids. Yeah. And, and this stuff Maybe was they're... not. They couldn't have been there. It couldn't have been there before. Um, uh, after the monolith, or it, it had to be there before, and whoever put that oh, monolith yeah. there was trying to get our attention into this area. I'm pretty sure that you don't put it in something in an area like this that's got all this artwork, and not expect somebody to say, "Hey, look at this artwork. It's ancient artwork." But yes, well, Keith, the the, the monolith has rivets. Yeah. I mean, it's not uh, pop rivets. It's not ancient. Yeah, it's not no, ancient. It's, it's, um, it's not ancient. And yeah. Google Earth yeah. shows that it was there somewhere around 2015, maybe a little bit before in 2014. But right, it, this this does not close the loop on the story. But it's just, uh, and that is about the time frame when they were shooting where, uh, the outside action scenes for Westworld, yeah. uh, about two about two miles away. So you know, and who knows how far they range around. Yeah, but I mean, was they, ever um was a monolith like that in Westworld? Anybody? No, no, never, never, not to my knowledge. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, it serves a useful function for a photographer because of the way it reflects the light. Yeah. Now we've been talking about getting getting other light angles and everything, mm-hmm. and it's uh, yeah, that would fi- that would function very well if you needed to add fill light. To a to a semi enclosed area to lighten up the shadows so you get more detail, you know, and give you some control over the direction of the shadowing, so that you could get the um, time of day 
aspect under control. Yeah, but if, if, uh, if Westworld came in and did that, don't you think they would take their their reflector with them? I mean, why would you leave? Yeah, it, it wasn't there? it wasn't necessarily for that show, but it if it was someone connected with that crew, you know, because remember those are huge operations. You know when they set up to do, uh, oh, I know, I do know. something like that. I mean, I mean for the Stargate things, the, for the Stargate episode from Stargate Universe, I mean they they sent the they sent the cast and like four people and two cameras, you know, down to New Mexico. But uh, the I forget who it was that financed Westworld, but I mean we're talking a major production. We're talking a major production there. You know, big stars, millions of dollars, dozens of people. Uh, so that somebody could have had a little side something going on and it could have been, you know, it could have been for, you know, completely unrelated to that. It's just that the time frame fits. And so you can't say that that could not have been an aspect, yeah. you know, and if it was, cause it was, uh, it might've been something that was noticed at that point or sometime earlier. Cause any place that's for location shooting, somebody's used it before. Yeah. Well, what, you know, the, you're not going to run into Turok, son of stone, stumbling around in one of those canyons. I mean, the people have been there before. They just don't stick around because there's no running water. You know, they're just uh, but hikers and adventurers and photographers who have their secret little crash where they like to go take pictures. Uh, you know, that's, you can you can be sure people visited it respectfully enough, but somebody at some point stuck in a monolith for some apparently either like i said it's either the splash light around or it's for some ceremonial purpose Ron. you know and yes sir yes ma'am we're coming at the top of the hour and i look forward to hearing what keith has to say <laughs> oh yeah you're oh, listening yeah. to the other side of midnight this is kinthia in conversation with ron gerbron and keith morgan We'll return after the break. Side of midnight.com. 
tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. We're standing in for Richard C. Hoagland. I'm Kintia. And Ron Gerbron and Keith Morgan are our sound engineer and talented explorer. Both of them are explorers, archaeologists, Martian archaeologists. And Keith, I was really moved when feeling the impact of the realization when you must be standing there and suddenly you realize you're not just looking at a pile of rocks, but you're looking at art and that like standstill moment when that revelation crosses your mind and then you're wondering why no one else sees it. I had a similar experience and it's that aha that is uh, captivating and I really am enjoying listening to you share your steps on discovery. So please. Thank you. Bring uh, it on. Yeah. It, <clears throat> I, I look at this stuff. I see it. I, I'm awed by it. And I just, I just understand why other people can look at it and not see it at first. And the whole monolith thing, when that one showed up, um, people fly said flocked into the area, and nobody noticed it. 
And then when the photographer was there with his people late at night taking pictures, and a group of guys came in, pushed it over, and carted it off, and <clears throat> made a comment about uh, that's what you get when you leave garbage in the desert or something like that. And it's like, why? Why mess with it? It's been there for the longest time, but you're going to come in and you're going to take it upon yourself to tear it down. Why? And and then the one in Romania popped us up. And that one, that was another interesting one. But it was different than the one that was in Utah. Somebody put artwork on it. And uh, Rich and I was Rich and I were watching the video. Uh, somebody shot it, I guess, on their cell phone camera, and they walked around it. And this one was different because there was a division at like one fourth the way up, as though there was a base, and then there was an upper section that was placed on top of that base, and. Richard was looking at something because I was on the opposite side and looking at the um, the video on the opposite side. And Rich says, I think there's a skull laying on the ground um, and it's reflecting off the bottom of the of this Romanian monolith. And I said, what are you looking at? He told me to go to 48 seconds in or whatever, and I did. And now I'm on the other side of the monolith. And I grabbed my scrub bar where you can actually scrub back and forth the video so you can move frame by frame or multiple frames and just go back and forth. And as I was going back and forth over it, uh, I kept noticing it was changing at the bottom, because that's where I was looking, because Rich said there was a skull there. And I was like, wait a minute, see a skull? Or wait a minute, that doesn't look like a reflection. And as I scrubbed back and forth, it looked like a hologram that was coming and going. And I got to one point, and I said, Rich, that looks like, that looks like a drawing of an extraterrestrial, uh, a gray, or what, whatever they want to call them, a gray or a zeta reticulin. And one's looking at us and the other one's a profile looking at or facing the face, the head on. And when he started looking at it and scrubbing back and forth, he said, you know, you're right. That it looks like a gray. But then I looked up and I looked at this weird pattern at the top. It looked like an interference pattern. I didn't just couldn't didn't know what it was. And then I went, oh, I'm looking at Simba. And it's under, he's under a banyan tree. If you click on number image 18, the Romanian monolith, okay? Um, if you... If you just put it in its normal size, you don't have to zoom in on it. Just open it so it's in a normal size. I want you to look at that pattern at the very bottom, that one section where the base is, a division for the base. And you can see the reflections at the bottom. 
or what look like reflections, but I think it's a holograph that's been etched into the metal. Then you look up above, and a lot of people's first thing they say is, oh, I see what looks like a dinosaur. And I said, does it look like Simba the lion? And they said, yeah, it could be a lion. And above that, it looks like a banyan tree. Now people say, okay, there's a rock shock test. If you open 19 and you flip and you get it the same, if it's the same size, you make it the same size as the other one, and you flip between 18 and 19, you'll see my overlay if they're the same size. And you will see, ooh, get them right, get them right, get them right. Let me see if I can get this right. Because if you can get the sizes the same and you flip back and forth between them, you'll see my circles that go around the image and you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. You'll be able to see the yellow circle in the middle is the outline of the, or the circle around the, the outline of the uh, Simba. I'm calling them Simba. And then if you look down at the bottom, there's a green outline and a blue outline of the two grays that are at the bottom. There's more in this picture because it looks like there's a tiger in here too. But this is all abstract except for the lion um, and maybe the grays. But whoever did this, it wasn't – this is not extraterrestrial. This is – this somebody on this planet did this. And they took – the Disney image of uh, the Simba, and they etched all of this in there either using a laser or some kind of similar laser device to give it the holographic effect of the two um, grays at the very bottom. And that's why as you move this, the camera moved around this thing, stuff started changing. But then when you get to the right frame, boom, they stand out like gangbusters. But then <clears throat> this was cordoned off and surrounded by armed, armed guards. But then the next day, it was like it disappeared. And how does it disappear with armed guards around it unless the armed guards were part of the whole thing to – for them to get rid of it and hide it because I, I don't I don't think this was an extraterrestrial base or the extraterrestrials came back and, and took it away and I think we just lost Ron I might have to call him back here um, but uh, whatever whoever did this It was again trying to get our attention. Here's a message. Oop. Thank you. I think Ron is no longer with us right now. He's not answering the phone. Maybe his phone ran down. Um, 
So <clears throat> this whole um, monolith thing, these things started popping up all over the world. Canada, outside of a bank. Um, and Ron's calling me. Hey, Ron, I know you dropped out. I'll call you back. Just, right? Okay. Anyway, <clears throat> whoever's producing these and putting them in locations are trying to tell us something. Um, I don't know what the message is yet, but they've been showing up all over the world. So I know that the one that disappeared in Utah couldn't have popped up in Romania the next day unless somebody had some quick way of getting it over there and etching all the stuff on it. So either this is a a group worldwide that are making an effort to get our attention for some reason, and they're putting these things in places that would grab our attention because this was not there. Uh, the Romanian one wasn't there. Um, I think the day before it actually popped up uh, because people had passed by. I don't know the whole history of uh, the Romanian one. But then they they were popping up all over the place. And then, of course, a group came forward and said, oh, yeah, we are building these things. We were um, making them. Um, but then I saw the video of them making them. And problem was they weren't the same size. They didn't, they didn't even look the same quality. They were smaller. Um, they just didn't give give the same feel as the ones that were showing up in Utah and Romania. So I had the impression that it's a, it's a worldwide thing. And the people who are taking credit for building these things, they're here in the U.S. So what did they do? Ship one to Romania and then one to Canada. And, it, and these people just decided, oh, we're going to put our eyes out on the street corner. Boom. Well, we're going to put ours out here in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm leery about the whole thing, um, but the Utah one was there since 2015, and it was only in 2019 that they even anybody made sight of it and knew it was there. So how long would it have been there if these guys hadn't seen it? Would it have been there for maybe five years, maybe more? And nobody was drawing any attention to it. And then somebody had to go tear it down for some reason. What are they trying to hide? But everybody went in that area and they never saw the artwork. That's what got me. If somebody put it there to, to draw our attention to the artwork... People were drawn there, but they were only drawn there to see that stainless steel monolith and never saw everything surrounding them. I I don't know. <clears throat> so I, I have to give the you know, the people who did that credit. They were trying to draw our attention to these these locations. Why? I don't know. So, Ron, you're back. 
Yeah, I'm back. I'm just I'm as I'm as perplexed by that uh, feature of it as as you are. I mean, it's like, um, well, here's a flash. I, they were doing some when I was, uh, well, someplace with a lot of ruins. Let's just say it was uh, somewhere somewhere in Greece, and they were doing some restorations, and so they had these spotlights sitting around that were. Um, uh, for when they were working at night, you know, they weren't there to decorate the, the ruins or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I was taking pictures of the spotlights because that was cool. You know, if you're in Greece, you see an awful lot of pieces of temples lying around uh, in some areas. And uh, but that's not why people went there. They didn't go there to see the spotlights, you know. But so, I mean, it's kind of akin to that. Whatever reason that monolith was in there, um it was drawing attention to the canyon, and yet people were taking pictures of the pillar. And I, you know, that 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 is a puzzle. I mean, it's possible that the Indians. Uh, I'm sure there's a tribe that has some say over that area because there are all of those pictures that you talked about in the carvings. You know, in that one and adjacent little box canyons like that. Maybe they were trying to be protective. You know, like that, like the tribe that owns whichever area that is where they let the Stargate people come in and film mm-hmm. over and, and they don't want anybody else there. You know, it's uh, the um, little bit of that's just being, you know, just being haughty. But I mean, you know, you don't want people stomping around in your yard just because they think you have a pretty yard. You want to at least get a chance to invite them first. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but it's, you're right. It's a puzzle. And I mean, there's de- there was definitely somebody had some clever idea uh, somewhere about let's spread this around. But whether it was a political move, like um, uh, some sort of political ritual that uh, Richard has suspicions of, or um, whether it was people seizing on a fad, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. It certainly was the top of the news for about, what, a couple weeks. Oh, yeah, it... And I get I was telling people when you were were missing, uh, it yeah. showed up in Romania, showed up in Canada, uh, showed up in uh, oh gosh I've got the other the other places somewhere in the England. UK oh France yeah England and France yeah yeah so I'm I'm going was this some worldwide thing that people had put together and they were waiting for the one to be discovered in Utah. And then there was a group that came forward and said, oh, yeah, we're building these things. And I, I looked at what they were building, and they were nowhere near the same size or, or quality as the ones that were popping up in the places that we were looking. Um, the one that popped up in Canada, could yeah, it could have been the, the one that they, were, they had done because it was on a smaller scale. But uh, how did you get it around the world? get them around the world that fast okay that just doesn't make any sense so this twitter (laughs) okay they texted to on twitter yeah i said hey build one of these you'll be famous you know i don't know how they thought they were going to make money off of it but you know how people are yeah uh i see it as disinformation um either some the, the ones that did pop up all of a sudden um Either it was a uh, a covert thing to keep everybody focused away from 
the one that did show up in Utah because they wanted people to think, oh, these things are popping up everywhere, and the one that was in Utah was just a fluke. But the one in Utah just had too much artwork around it, ancient artwork, which... Yeah. Well, that's never bothered anybody before. Those ruins you were uh, talking about, or not ruins, but those beautiful sculptures of angels and so forth, and that... Uh, didn't they call it a, it was referred to as a garden, some sort of garden that was supposedly up in the uh, higher mountains somewhere in, um, I thought they might have said Utah. And it, it kind of looks like something Mormons would like, yeah. you know, it's very, very, it doesn't look Indian, it looks more biblical, but some parts of it anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I think I remembered, because I know I remember the show, I think I remember the name was, uh, wasn't there a fellow named Robert Morning Sky? Not our friend Morningstar, but wasn't there another fellow with an Indian name? Yeah, Morning Sky. That you, and I think it was his stuff. Yeah. Now I don't know about his credibility or anything else, but that would be the way to track it down. Like I said, I know I have a copy of that picture around somewhere, but it was it's so perfect. I mean, they're like chess pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was I was always a little bit suspicious. You know, the stuff that you're pointing out is you know, much more credible in a way, <laughs> you know, because it's, uh, some of it's natural, some of it we may be imagining, but it's, you know, it looks like it's, you know, it, it looks real. I mean, something that's completely finished sculpture, why hasn't it eroded? I don't care where it's sitting. Yeah. You know, if it's sitting out in the open, why, you know, why does it look like it's just fresh out of the, uh, fresh out of the mold at the garden shop or something? Uh, you're talking about the, the one, the Art Bell. Um, yeah, the Art Bell ones, the ones that we don't have a picture of. So, you know, it's it's hard to tell. And then a little bit of that applies to the monoliths. I mean, some of those are much higher tech than others, but where did the idea come from? What was the – or, you know, we'd think that even with those guys that showed up and tore the thing down and carted it off, mm-hmm. that somebody would have had something. The only credible explanation I heard was that it was actually a – Something for targeting by they weren't going to shoot at it, but it was something for a, used as a I think a radar target for fighter planes when they were doing training missions, zipping around there, and so that was that was a um, uh, quasi military crew that went out there to tear it down because they didn't want to draw attention to the areas where they're testing out uh, you know advanced weapons. Oh, we lost Ron again. Well. <clears throat> I'll I'll get him back in a minute. Um, I don't think it was a, a anything for being targeting or using for radar testing or anything like that. Uh, whatever it was out there for, I think it did what it was supposed to do, which was gather our attention and get us focused uh, on that on that area, and it it certainly did that. It certainly got our attention, and um, I think the whole worldwide thing may have been an offshoot, but it just seemed like these things popped up too quick. Somebody made them too quick. Well, I I must have said the wrong thing. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I I was continuing. I I was saying that I think uh, – I don't think they were – it was used for radar reflection or testing or, or some kind of military targeting or anything like that. I think it was 
placed there just to get our attention focused in that area. And I think it did what it was supposed to do. Uh, it just took it a while before anybody paid attention because that was not a, a well-traveled area. And if it had been there since 2015 to 2019, that's four years. And they were just, I guess, waiting for that to be noticed to see how see how it re, people would react to it. And it definitely went national. It went viral, and people focused on it, and they were paying attention. Uh, it, it's kind of like what happened with the Phoenix Lights. That went viral with the media. Um, and, but that only happened because everybody jumped on the story, a three-month-old story. The only good thing that came out of it going viral with the media was um, the Merlin National Guard came forward and said, oh, yeah, we were dropping flares as part of Operation Snowbird. And my jaw hit the ground because I was like, they just told the public the truth. I knew what Project uh, Operation Snowbird was uh, like years and years before, before they said anything. But then they tell the press, oh, yeah, uh, Operation Snowbird is when we're moving planes between one base to the other during the winter time. That's Operation Snowbird. No, that's not what Operation Snowbird is. Operation Snowbird is the operation, is an offshoot of Operation uh, Red Light. And Operation Red Light is the operation where we're flying extraterrestrial vehicles either given to us by extraterrestrials or recovered in extraterrestrial crashes. Operation Snowbird is the operation to cover up the fact that we're flying these craft. So at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, this huge craft flew over Phoenix. And then at 10 o'clock, the Merlin National Guard started dropping flares as part of Operation Snowbird to cover up the fact that this huge craft flew over Phoenix. Now, I didn't right. tell that in my, my last interview, but I, I'm bringing it out now it, because – Stuff like that goes on to cover up the fact that these guys are pulling the strings behind a lot of these vehicles that people are seeing, the triangular-shaped craft, things that are doing miraculous stuff. I actually when it was coming out on a parking lot. I was going on, uh, on the roof of a parking lot to my car, and I look up in the sky because I hear these jets, and I see this four-engine jet. They're way up there, and these like three or four uh, fighter jets tagging along with it. And the first thing that hits me is, oh, they must be doing in uh, in-flight refueling uh, exercises. And then the sure. weird thing is, I see this weird vortex like in front of them, and they fly into the vortex. And then the vortex kind of dissolves and goes away. And I'm looking, thinking maybe they went into the clouds. I'm listening. Sound went away. Everything. And I'm going, what the heck? And then I saw this YouTube video not too long ago. Because I saw this years ago. And I just saw this YouTube video. And there's this vortex. And these weird-shaped craft are flying into the vortex. And they disappear. And I'm going, this is kind of what I saw looking up in the sky at the planes. And we're coming up on a break. But that 
that event, I wish I'd had a, I had taken my cell phone out or, or something and recorded it because it was a strange phenomena. But these were just... How long ago was that? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Uh, this was at least five, six years ago. Maybe maybe seven. Ah. So, but it was weird. And, and, mm-hmm. now, and now we got the thing going on with the birds that are freezing in the air. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Uh, Kendia, it's break time. Oh, you're okay. To the other side of midnight. We're standing in for Richard C. Hoagland, and it's Keith Morgan with Ron Gibran, myself, Kendia, and we will continue after the break. other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. Thank you. 
Enter Bronze, together with Cynthia, standing into Richard's behavior. Hey, Cynthia. Can you crank up your volume a little bit? You're hard to, you were kind of hard to hear. Oh, okay. The music was kind of loud, I guess. uh, I mean, relative to your voice. I'm not going to say it all again. Welcome. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 no. We got the idea. We're so so happy you're here. I wondered if I could drag everybody back to one picture. But, um, go ahead. I'm here, Keith. I'm here. Where is he? Uh, sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, Keith, could I drag everybody back to one picture? Because I had one left over, which is kind of relevant, I think. Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, the number five back on mine, um, I know usually that's accompanied by a complex instruction, but I never had any trouble shuttling back and forth between them, and I'm just using a phone. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's a picture from Perseverance. And uh, Kinsey asked me what the heck to label it, and I said, uh, just put melted iron with a question mark, because the only thing it reminds me of is on occasion you see meteoric iron, you know, which is the most fiercely valuable sort of meteorite, unless you find one that's Naquadet or Naquadet or diamonds or something. Um, and um, it has a sparkly, shiny surface sometimes. And uh, they see it, there seems to be a lot of that. It's like iron slag in the vicinity of the Perseverance rover. Anyway, if you look at it closely, and I used a cheap and cunning trick to make people do that, which is that the file number is printed on the picture down at the bottom, but you have to blow the picture up to see it. You know, so when you blow it up big enough to read it easily on your screen, you will be getting a close-up look at that pile of slag sitting next to it. And you'll say, well, wait a minute. That looks like melted metal fittings, and um, which it is. And so I don't know how they got melted, and I don't know how they got there. But uh, they're definitely, definitely machiny parts. And if you look at the large piece above it uh, on that same frame, uh, there's more of the same. It looks like a turnbuckle sort of thing like you might see on a vice or somewhere. So it's, uh, you know, all this all this talk we're having about uh, things that look like Mars that are here on Earth and vice versa and people doing stuff in the past. Yeah, even something as obviously mechanical as those parts are can end up being very hard to decipher if it's been sitting there long enough or it's been through enough grief, I think. Somehow that relates to the monolith business because that's I, I'm very suspicious of some of them and very wonder wonderstruck about some of the other ones. You know, Keith's right. There's something going on there, but we don't know what it was. Yeah. Did, when you come across stuff like this, um, they have always got an excuse for for why it is what it is, and you you look at these things and like you said. I've I've got a meteor that I found, um, and it's a small rock, but it's magnetic and it's got weird characteristics to it because it plummeted through the atmosphere and you can see where it melted and did all the gyrations and and it doesn't have all the quite holes on it. It looks more like the one the uh, uh, second one up from the from the bottom on the right and it 
these things look almost the same, except there's some other weird, something weird about it. Um, You're talking about the Martian ones. Yeah, the the one up yeah. to the right of the one that looks like an axe head down at the bottom. It looks like it's got a flat side on it, like something cut that flat edge off or something. Um, oh, yeah, this is about 40% of the full frame. That's why I put the number on there. But yeah. it's uh, so there's yeah, there's and I tried not to I tried to include a a full complement of items. You know, to me, the fact that there's all that detail on the sort of fish shaped one right below the one you're talking about, that's kind of to the right. Uh, it's uh, you know, that that looks like. guy. I won't say cuneiform or anything like that, but it look, you know, it looks carved, you know, the blue ones to either side that sort of flank it, they don't look carved, but that one that's that uh, one in between them does. And those large pieces, I mean, if you look at them, there's fittings. I mean, look at the, uh, uh, it looks like a big piece of ironwork that had parts that turned and latched together and stuff like that. And they're all melted together. How did that happen? Must have been a really bad day. Yeah. So it's, but yeah, you got a media, you've got an iron meteorite. Cool. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's coming back from, a lot of stuff coming back from the rovers that uh, they they stick out like a sore thumb, and oh yeah, and and NASA has to see this stuff. It's just they don't want to talk about it because it doesn't fit their paradigm, or. They keep they're keeping stuff quiet. Um, like I said, it, in the Washington Post in 1965, like four years before we went to the moon, there was an article talking about how the unions at NASA were upset because key positions were being given to retired military personnel. Now, if you want to keep your thumb on something even though the charter for NASA says no military people can operate NASA, you get your retired military people. Technically, they're civilians, but they've still got their oath of allegiance and their oath of secrecy, and you put them in the positions that you want them in, and you say, put your thumb on that, don't let that out, don't let this out, and they'll do it. And no questions asked. So mm-hmm. if, you, if the military wanted to take over NASA, you put your technical civilians, technically civilians, retired military people in these positions, and they still do what they are ordered to do, even though they're no longer in the military. So, Well, isn't it technically a military uh, founded on uh, – as a – uh, an arm of the military. I mean, it's supposed to have civilian um, executives, but I, the, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure it's ever not been connected with the military. Uh, that's well, it's it's not that it's not connected with the military because they they obviously did their um, deployments of clandestine satellites or whatever the shuttle would take up and and put in orbit. It's it's the fact that you have uh, in key positions military people to be able to squash anything that may get out to the public. 
Uh, sure, the new head is the new head of the Space Force. Yeah. Uh, is uh, he was the head of the National Reconnaissance Office um, before? Yeah. Which is so, uh, military or not, that's that's deep and dark. <laughs> and the um, uh, yeah, that was the story we didn't get to about the Space Force. The uh, the Air Force said, "Here, you take all of these UAP reports and you deal with them." And uh, the people at Space Force are saying, we don't want to do those. Yeah. And yeah, I heard Michael Salas say that the, uh, don't, don't believe it just because of that, but I mean, he keeps up on things. Uh, he said that their complaint, the reason for their complaint is that they're already training people to fly the anti-gravity craft and things like that. And so the idea that they're supposed to be sort of debunking UFO reports, uh, you know, would, seems like an attempt to discredit the agency. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But the whole thing with the, like I said, with the Phoenix Lights and uh, Project, mm-hmm. uh, Operation Snowbird, they have these operations to, to, to squelch stuff like this by putting out their bogus lies about what really went down and people eat it up. They, yeah, they obviously they, they accept what they're being told because it's by the guys with the power, the prestige and the reputations and anybody else saying anything else uh, opposite of what they say. Oh, they must have a grudge or, Oh, they're, they're making stuff up or I don't know, but the obvious mm-hmm. is sitting in front of people, and they don't want to accept the they don't want to accept accept what they see. They want somebody to tell them what they're seeing, even though they're looking at it for themselves. Like the bone. Why are they hiding? They because it all you... all comes back to that whole thing about whether we're alone in this universe or not. And that's where the Brookings document comes in. It said, yeah, how could anybody have ever felt that way? I mean, that's always my whole life that's, that's puzzled me. I mean, I didn't need Carl Sagan saying that it would be an awful waste of space uh, if we're the only uh, people out there. I mean, it just seemed obvious. Oh, yeah, but we were growing up. We're still growing up. As we grow, people have to take on new concepts, new ideas. Because the ones that they were taught when they were growing up, they've accepted it, they've stuck to it, and it, you can't change their minds because this is what I was taught, and everything fits fine with my universe, and be damned anything else that comes in that's going to try to change that. But change is that one thing, that one absolute that nobody can dispute. Everything changes, and if you don't pay attention you're going to get left behind. And this is what happens. And, and if you look at the history, you'll see that this has gone on again and again and again throughout history. Which is Where do you stand on the perfect object uh, question? You know, do you think there's one picture that would convince people or one object that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't, um, uh, Grumble their way away from, you know, and say, no, the ice, right? so, so. They, a lot of people are going to, they're going to, 
in their own mind, they're going to dismiss it. You could hit them with all kinds of pictures and so forth. And I was talking about the birds that are frozen in the air. And there's videos coming out showing right. birds in flight, wings outstretched, and they're frozen. And they're not moving. And people are standing underneath of them, looking up at the bird and walking around it. It's just sitting there. And it's just not one area. It's all over the place that this is starting to happen. And people Oh, don't. you mean suspended, like hung there, like hanging in the air? Yeah. They are just like a sitting in the air. The, the wings are spread out like they're flying, but they're not moving. And they're just in one spot. And these these videos have been coming back from all sorts of places. Some people think it's because of the three uh, the 5G towers. And somehow it's creating a time bubble and the birds are getting stuck in there. But Yeah, it sounds like a time bubble. Did anybody try and grab one? Well, the, people are walking around them. The ones that have uh, been frozen are too high up for anybody to, to walk up and grab them. They've been oh, they've been uh, several feet off the ground. It had to be like twenty or thirty feet off the ground in some cases, and, mm-hmm. and but people be driving down the highway and they'll see a bird stuck in the air and they come back, drive back under and still there and they started uh recording it on the camera and it's one of those anomalies that are now going on nobody knows why or how but they're trying to associate with 5g which who knows 5g is weakening the barriers between dimensions it might be portals portals forming like swiss cheese holes in the um, uh, in the transitional zone, and I'm only half kidding because I think there are such things. I think that there are portals. I think they're seldom at ground level, and they seldom are uh, defined enough to actually transport something. But sometimes they are. So mm-hmm. somebody's walking down a road, and then just suddenly they're gone. <laughs> uh, I laugh because it's such a bizarre circumstance. But um, yeah. I, People need to open up their sense of wonder. Up in my pictures, take a look at number four. There's the original frame, the naked, raw, full-scale, untouched frame on the left, and then there's an enlarged thing on the right. How can somebody look at that and say that that was formed by any planet's natural forces? I'm at a loss. Yeah, and it looks like it's got a straight edge coming down the side of it towards us. Uh, and then it looks like there's another pattern on it. Wait, let me blow that up. Straight edge? Well, it looks like a – I don't know. It could be a, something that fell over, but I, I call it a shuttle because it looks kind of like the shuttlecraft on Enterprise and Stargate and several other places. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just that kind of a shape. But – um yeah, this particular one came about because there's one part that looks transparent to me, and I can't decide if it's transparent or if it's just got a lot of holes in it and you can see through it. But, uh, yeah, people are free to click on that and get the larger version of it. I think that happens. Have, have you zoomed yeah, in on that? Do, do you see the the 90-degree angle on on that? There's an image. Which of, one? Uh, the, the, yeah. the right-hand side. Where are I? On the right-hand side. Okay, because yeah. you realize it's part of a panorama. It goes on forever. 
Yeah. Look, uh, I just grabbed look, I just grabbed a chunk of it. Look Excuse at what you think looks like a shuttle because it's got that sloping front on it. It's a mm-hmm. and then look there is a edge that comes out towards us and there's a ninety degree right angle. Oh I see oh on. you know what that is? What's that? That's actually if if you zoom in on it enough uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. If you blow it up enough you'll see. That's actually a shadow. That's a shadow cast by the thing to the immediate right of it, which uh, has a sharp edge. No, not behind. There's, I see three lines. One, it looks like it's coming down a lighter gray area, just in, to the left of what you think is the shadow. And then there's one to the left of that that comes straight at us. And then there's the slope that goes out the front. The one that's coming straight at us Look tightly on that. Don't look at the shadow of whatever. The shadow of whatever's in front of it has a right angle on it. Then it slopes out towards the front of this this thing. Right. And as it passes, oh, it looks to me like there's a drop section on it. That's one of the reasons I called it a shuttle. The the sort of offset part at the bottom of the uh, left side of yeah. the sh- so-called shuttle. Yeah, that looks like. I mean, that looks like the. Um, the gaping maw of a trash can. You know, I mean, it looks like there's parts. I think the whole thing's stone, but I don't know because it. Re- if you look at the very top of it, you'll see there's holes in it. And yeah, I, I didn't do a whole display on that, but that that when I mentioned a turtle before, I will send you the picture because it ought to uh, it ought to get thrown in the mix here to go along with that one picture from the Monument Valley yeah. uh, well, of I- yours to show you what I mean by a turtle. Uh, yeah, it's, but I'm, anyway, it's, I'm looking. Go ahead. I'm looking at that right angle. That's the the, the shadow that you were looking at first, right? Then it <laughs> it slopes uh-huh. down to the left. Right above that slope, there's a right angle of two lines that come into that, with some other pattern beneath it. I can't make out what the pattern is, but those two lines uh-huh. intersect with at a right angle. And I'm trying to figure out how did that get cut into that rock like that if it's supposed to be natural. It does not look like it's a natural formation. That just does not fit the pattern. Oh, right. To me, there's more, uh, there's even more artificially looking stuff on there. But uh, I mean, some of that is actually in this, at this scale, because right now I'm staring at it on my phone, even on the enlarged version. You go to the full-size version you're just looking at the original image therefore this is stuff that can be seen on the uncorrected uh, original image it's just got that funky yellowish green sky (laughs) and some of the stuff you're talking about is uh, easier to see and like I said it's part of a panorama it's not when I look at the the one on the left it continues on to the right yeah yeah well when I look at that when I look at the the one, the image on the left, the one that's got the full panoramic thing, not the zoomed in one. I can see yeah. that those, those, the line that goes across the top that forms that top of that 90 degree right angle, it goes out towards the front tip of this thing to the left, and it actually curves mm-hmm. down around it. And then the bottom, there's a bottom line that goes out and curves parallel to that out to the front. That's unusual. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I'm being unfair in that I'm referencing comparison stuff that isn't here. You know, like I'm comparing it to that turtle, but the the turtle in question happens to be a uh, one of the features of a Viking photograph mm. of the few pictures that it took on the ground there, and it's just black and white. But it's uh, they named all the rocks. You know, remember that they named all the named all the rocks and boulders around them, and there's one of them called Souffle. 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 Doesn't look like any. I don't see any eggs, but there's it's, it's souffle. And if you look, you can find it. You can search for that. You know, just look for just look for that rock. It's um, is it um, is it Viking or Pathfinder? Oh my God, I'm losing my mind. Well, it's almost midnight. Anyway, you'll find it. Yeah, I I will uh, I will put that in the um, uh, or I'll pass that along to Kinsey and she can stick it up on the show page or I'll send it to you. Something. Anyway, we it will come up again. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, were you uh, looking why at don't, why don't you why don't you yeah why don't you get to your uh, you probably have a summation of your um, oh yeah. uh, photographs okay good time for that let's not get sidetracked yeah we're right down now. the last we have five, time to do that five minutes here yeah all right go uh, get them so um, my summation the the objects the uh, pictures that I took of you in Utah at the Arch National Park. All of the stuff that I had been I, I presented represents artificial uh, artwork or construction or whatever. Uh, I know a lot of people will look at that and say, "Yeah, hey, you're stretching this, you're stretching that," but when you have that much stuff in all in the same area, you have to start to think. This has got to be artificial. You don't get that kind of stuff all grouped together in this one area and have so many coincidences without it being actual, actually artificial. Then that's why I always look at the probability and, and the odds of those many things taking place in the general area. That's why when they looked at Sidonia and they saw the phase and they said it was a trick of light and shadow, but then they didn't look at the rest of the stuff. And when you get that much stuff based around that face, you have to take a second look at that face and go, why is all this other stuff over here? Why is it mathematically aligned? And then you've got this object that looks like a face. Could mm-hmm. it be that somebody built this stuff and all of the odds and probabilities say, yes, somebody built this stuff? And Utah is the same way. It's littered with artifacts, but they don't want to accept it. They want to say, oh, this is natural. That's natural to keep the paradigm going. And it's time for that to, to die. And you start to look at things for what they are because what we are moving into is a realm of discovery. And we're moving into a new age. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to accept what you're looking at and what you're dealing with. This is the 21st century, 18th century. Okay? So all the belief stuff has to go out the door. We can't hide behind the belief. Nobody's beliefs dictate reality. 
I don't care who you are or what you are. Your beliefs, my beliefs, nobody's beliefs dictate reality. Reality dictates the belief. And just because you don't reality accept Reality is silly putty. Yeah. If you just because you don't accept that reality or you don't experience some aspect of the reality that somebody else has doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So the the object is for us to get our act together, look at the true reality that's been lied to us about the whole time, not only by NASA, by the military, and a host of others. And we have to see the facts for the facts. And if you look and don't just dismiss, you'll see the truth. And we're about two and a half minutes out from uh, closing. Uh, How do you think Petra plays into this? Petra. That's the uh, Petra in in Jordan. That's the that's the church that's cut into the the rocks. rocks. Yep. Yeah, that was in Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Yeah, and many other things. Yeah. do you think that the one that the uh, the people that built that? Because uh, I mean, it's not super ancient or anything. But do you think the people that built that were inspired by the kind of stuff we've been talking about tonight? Uh, probably. Um, yes, there they, could be a linkage there. I came across something like that. It was a huge, huge boulder that a corner was cut out of it, and a petrotype glyph was embedded in it. False doors and walls and uh, windows and that blew me away. And I got to get that picture again because um, I think I, I think I took a screen grab of it because that is it looks like Patrick, but this huge boulder. I mean, this thing is stories tall and it's huge, but yet they took a slice out of it and removed a section, so it's got like a corner. But on the flat side, there is this. Petra type um, design built into it, a windows and the doors and so forth. And we are at our last end. So I'm going to say yes. good night. Cynthia, do you want to close? Because we're kind of past our time frame here. You may have well, we were enjoying ourselves. Yes, we were. We were really enjoying the show. Thanks, guys. So you're listening to the other side of the midnight. The show has been called A Terrestrial Connection. And we appreciate you. Have a good night.